0: Welcome to House of Brands. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday the 23rd of June 2020 while in lockdown and the club was shut. We're using this format as a quick and easy way to find out what's going on at the club and hear direct from those running the show for us. We hope you enjoy this instalment. Today we are joined by Alan Brookin. I've known Alan, uh, although he didn't know me, since uh, I first came to the club with my dad on a Saturday afternoon. My dad was the was friends with uh, Jim Parsons, who was running a local fitness or keep fit session at the time, and Jim was playing on the wing for Harlow at the time. We got uh, a chance to come down and watch him. We, uh, I, well, I remember very clearly um, climbing through what was the extension to the main club uh, clubhouse and all the. Uh, the wooden things or pillars and things that were there and, and watching more of where I was going uh, than actually watching the game. But Alan, I think back then you were first team captain. Is that about right? Yeah, that is right. Yeah, yeah. I was first team captain in 1986. So I must have been around that sort of time when I was down there. Um, did you remember that extension to the clubhouse? Yeah, no, I remember all of it and all the subsequent extensions and everything else. Yeah, we were, I think... The- the clubhouse was a constant changing feast. In all honesty, and uh, I think well, well, I think Alan Webb just basically enjo- enjoyed drawing pictures and making plans. <laughs> Does sound like a bit like Alan there, yeah? Um, yeah. So, t- t- tell us about your, your your family. I mean, Ellen has been helping me with these podcasts, and uh, yes. and has really sort of added a professional touch to what we've been doing, which I've re- really has been quite uh, well received so far. But um, <laughs> tell us about the rest of your family. Yeah, so basically there's myself, there's uh, Dee, my wife, and then Ellen, and then our cat Luna. And that's the four of us. So three girls, one man, and I get the worst end of it all the time. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, Ellen has, has been involved with the club right for, even when she was um, you know, four or five-year-old and Steve and I were coaching the Colts. She was our, our mascot for about three years. So she came to all the matches and... Uh, uh, and she was well looked after by everybody and uh, she's pretty much been involved with it since um and even Dee's helped out in the past when we particularly when we were in the old club and and even now when she if we were doing lasagna saturday then she would do all the all the lasagnas and also helped do quite a lot of the players food for a couple of years so you have all been involved all been involved doing bits and bobs throughout the year it's only the cat that has not yet. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, so tell me, which uh, rugby teams have you supported? Uh, basically Harlequins. Um, when I worked in London uh, for one company, we were Harlequins' main sponsor for, uh, for five years and so I got to know them very well and I got to know the players very well and I still very much look at their results and, and every now and again I try still to go to some games there and I also support the Royal Navy rugby team as well as I played for them in the past. Oh, Okay. Okay, we'll come, we might come back to both the Royal Navy part and uh, some of your teams that you supported as, as we go further on. But uh, before we get that far, so if you—I didn't know this about you—you um, you had a nickname that came out of the Czechoslovakia tour. Yeah, it was. It was uh, either Richard Drage or, or Simon Cook, I think. They basically found out that my middle name was Saint John, and so they changed it to Sinjin and that's what they've called me ever since, and uh, still call me now. <laughs> So you've got your uh, your parents to thank for. This I have night on, uh, middle yeah, night. Very much. Is there any uh, re- we'll sort of thank them? No, <laughs> definitely not. No reason. No reason for that. No. No, not at all. I don't know what the reason was. I don't, don't ask. <laughs> um, so when did you last play rugby? Uh, I played in the fiftieth celebration game in two thousand and five. That was my last uh, uh, my last game I played playing, Yeah, very enjoyable, good day, and obviously a very uh, memorable day for the club. Did you play much of that game? Yeah, all of it, yeah, whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. my back would give up now if I was to play a whole game. but uh, <laughs> would certainly give up now, but yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you sore afterwards or was the celebration? Oh yeah, nice I know. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a good day and I think, you know, if you look at the pictures that's still there today, there were we had a pretty big side um, that played and uh, Brentwood did their bit as well by bringing a fairly big side as well. So it was a good, very good enjoyable day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brentwood is a team we played first when we first formed, wasn't it? That's that was exactly right. They were the team that opened it, um, and, um, yeah, we played them. And, obviously, yeah, they've been very good supporters for us all the way through. Okay, okay. So what is it you love about rugby? Um, well, I, th- I think, basically, it's playing the game. I think it's the opportunities that it's certainly given me. Um, I really love that one minute you can be going hammer and tong. At each other, and then the next, you know, you'd be in the bar sharing a pint, and I think that was very much rugby of the um, of the 1960s, or 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, I think it's the friends I, that, that's given me, and the ability to be to be part of a game that I truly believe has good values and still accommodates everyone. Uh, I think it's a great game, and long lay, long lay, long may it last indeed indeed yeah. uh, cheers to that yeah indeed um, so you've been on a few rugby tours in your time uh, yeah what was it what, what's your favorite tour or, or the the one that stands out the most to you oh there's no doubt about it it was our it was our tour to Czechoslovakia in 1986. Um, you know it was an incredible experience actually for everybody that went because at that time Czechoslovakia was still basically under Russian control Um, and so it was a very very quite an eye-opener to all of us not just actually when we got there but before we went Um, we had to go up to London to the foreign office and get permission to go then we had people come and basically tell us what to do and what not to do Um, we even had when we got to Czechoslovakia we had a, a a guy got on the coach didn't say a word to us for the whole 10 days we were there then afterwards, basically, thanks as it was the best 10 days he ever had, he was from the Russian embassy, and uh, I think we give him a, a good time, really. Uh, but I <laughs> think so, also... He didn't, say were, anything. he didn't say anything yeah, for 10, ten days, no, probably. Not a word. Not, <laughs> not a word. Um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, to give Havishoff, you know, who are obviously a twin town of Hollow, they they hosted us for the whole 10 days, and uh, we paid in Rishini, which was which was great. Um, but then when we went over to Havish off, we were really treated quite royally, in all honesty, but we had to do all of the political stuff. So we had to go to all the memorials. We had to go and visit all of the um, the main officers of Havizhov. Um They took us down a mine, which was very interesting um, and not very safe, I have to say. Um, but we played, we played three games in all. We won them all. Um, we had a very, very good laugh. And I say we were very, very well hosted uh, by everybody out there. Um, and it, it was a it was a very long tour. It was quite a drunken tour with beer at about five P a pint. Um yeah, I think we did ourselves proud both on and off the field. Ten days on tour and five ten P, days P a beer. A tour, I, mean. yeah. Yeah. I I my longest I idea, I can't remember how long it was, I went to Sligo and it was four or five days and that was yeah. tough, but ten days. Yeah, yeah ten days. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I bet some yeah. people got back and slept for a week after that. Uh I think most was Probably slept for more than that. But yeah, <laughs> we were very sore, very tired, lots of headaches. We're quite a while, quite a while afterwards, but yeah, it was brilliant though. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good, good. Um, the, uh, what's your best away game? Oh, there's, there's, there's several, but the best one was when we beat Barking in Barking Park because at that time, Barking had quite a lot of the Essex players. Um, and we actually went down there and we actually gave them quite a pasting, really, uh, which in all honesty, they took quite badly. Um, and actually, they didn't like us for for a number of years after that. But uh, and of course, even after that, we've had quite a lot of ding dongs with Barking. But I think, in all honesty, that was one of the um, one of the best games that uh, we had um, at that at, at that time. Yeah, it was fabulous. What year? What, what year would that have been? Uh, that was eighty. That would have been actually eighty five when Ray Ball was captain. Yeah, that was eighty five. Yeah. Ray Ball, who shouts Ray Ball as the ball comes into to, to exactly him. yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. R- yeah. ringing out ringing out he around you. He's a good captain, you know, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's, it's funny. How, so, so some clubs we have a, a bit of a rivalry with. You, you mentioned about Barking, and yeah. I think we played our only evening game against Barking. Yeah, that's, that's right. right, exactly. In the yeah yeah in the Eastern Counties Cup was it or an Essex Cup? I forget. Um, Eastern, Eastern Counties Cup, yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, we've had that rivalry over the years. Uh, yeah. So we've covered we covered Brentwood being the uh, the, the friendly yeah. club for us, and and Barking not yeah. quite so friendly, but uh, there we go, there we go. So so, so give not, us honestly, the worst the worst club was actually Eaton Manor, who basically every time you went to Eaton Manor, it was pretty much a fight. And we actually in fact had a um, an AGM or an EGM where the, the uh, sort of resolution was to actually stop playing Eaton Manor. Um, but thankfully, we didn't, and uh, um, we, you know, luckily we carried on really. But uh, they were they were a very hard hard team. Yeah, I, th- I think my my um, recollections, other than tough games at Barking, were tough games at um, Romford. Uh, Romford yeah. was always my uh, yeah. uh, the, the team, and uh, in my day, we had uh, Paul Gutteridge and Toby Clay came over and played. Yeah. Uh, for harlow for a bit um mm. and uh, that was a bit of a coup i signed in a player from romford at the time but uh, um yeah they still still in touch with both of those guys now but uh, that was good fun um so your life in rugby give us a little bit of a oversight uh, you you were were you always a prop uh well actually i played prop pretty much well actually when i was at school i started off playing second row and i played for the county and uh, north wales at second row but as soon as I left Wales and, and moved to Dorset. So, yeah, this is where I have to come back to. I'm so not you, Welsh. No, you, no, I'm, so, so you played for no, North Wales, you just said? Yeah, my dad was basically in the army and um, he went off to Germany and there was no schools out there. So I went to a boarding school in Town in mid Wales. Oh, OK. So you, so you weren't born in uh, Wales then? No, 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 no. Oh, no. Well, there we I was going to say you'd kept that very quiet. but uh, so, no, but you, But you did no, learn your rugby in Wales then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let my rugby school there, and uh, uh, yeah, I did that. And then, then I moved to Dorset, where I joined Wimborne, which was the local club there was. Where I played a short while for their Colts, and then I played sort of my first senior rugby really, where I played for their first team for for basically a year. Um, that was good rugby, really enjoyable. Um, Wimborne at that time were were a pretty good team, they, and they trained hard, they played hard, and and also they drank hard. And that's probably where I learnt the. Third part of my rugby education actually mm-hmm. uh, was at wimbledon which was the drinking bit of it. Yeah, it's very so, good. And then after that, I went and joined the Navy, um, where I ended up playing for the, I played for the Navy under twenties, and then I played for Navy First Fifteen, and Devonport Services and U.S. Portsmouth, uh, while I, plus also the all of the shore establishments wherever I was or ships that I was on that we we also played. I played for as well. Did you ever play in the Army Navy game? In, did, did they have that back then? They had. I played the army, navy for navy under oh, okay. yeah, twenties. Play, I played navy REF at first fifteen level. Yeah. Um, then obviously I left the navy and I joined Harlow and met. To, I came to Harlow in February eighty two and Don Clune was my boss at Data Logic and he literally marched me down the club. On i only joined on the Monday. He took me down the club on the Thursday, where I met uh, Alan Arms. Alan asked me if I was available to play on Saturday. So I ended up playing for the fourth team away at Woodford with um, Cliff Bishop as captain, uh, Andy Ball and people like that. Um, I scored two tries and Cliff Bishop said, that's it. We'll never see you again (laughs) next week and the week after I played for the second team. And then actually the season after I actually captained the seconds and halfway through that, I ended up moving into the first and pretty much stayed there from then on. <laughs> it's funny how that sort of thing happens, isn't it? I remember Josh yes. Bol came over from Australia and yeah. um, had had a couple of games in the fourth team. It's like we're not going to hang on to you, uh, and he was in the first team before you know it. And, and yes. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that when Steve Mansky or steve former rather was managing the second team, we had a Fijian international turn up one day and say Can I have a game? And we put him on the bench, and then the next week he was on the bench for the. Um, uh, for the Fiji national tie, uh, side in Cardiff, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's uh, funny yeah, how those, but, those things yeah. happen, isn't it? So yeah. yeah, and then after that, after I well, basically I injured my back eventually and had to give up playing. So then, um, uh, with myself, well, Kevin Thomas, Steve, myself coached um the Colts for three years, I think, um, during which we basically were, well, we certainly were the last Colts team to go to it's Cup finals, and we went there twice in a row. And I think more importantly, I'm more proud of is that the team, it's just when um, the Colts team that we had, our final Colts team, 13 of those went on to play first team rugby. So um, we were really, really pleased um, and, and, and we, we thoroughly enjoyed doing that. And uh, they were a really good set of lads and we, we really got into touring with them and everything else and it, and it was good fun. Um, so who yeah. would be, who would have been some of the players in that team at the, that um, time? That would have been the that would have been Ben Jarvis who went on to be first team captain. Mm-hmm. It was all that group, all that that, that age group that all came out of there. Uh, okay, so Wayne Morgan, James yeah, Grover, Wayne, yeah, James Grover, Scott Fawn. Scott Fawn? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all of those came out of that group. Yep, yeah. uh-huh. good, 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 good. Um, so um, you, you've also now um, got a, a role with Essex, I believe. Uh, yeah, yes. So, along alongside your your roles at harlow do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about th- those uh, uh roles you have at the moment yeah basically the the role at essex is one i look after all the facilities and funding for essex and really my sort of my drive really is to try and get rugby clubs to be more sustainable you know we've got a lot of good clubs that that you know that are on the field and they play well and everything else but off the field, we have got some shocking clubs in terms of the infrastructures, et cetera. So we've had this plan to basically get clubs to be more sustainable. Um, it, it really started, obviously Harlow was really the first one to come to fruition. Now we've had Westcliff come. We've obviously had Eaton Manor get their AGP. There are three clubs now that within two years will have county standard facilities. And we've really uplifted that um, Uh, and spent a lot of money, or we've used a lot of the RFU's money, to be honest, in helping clubs become far more sustainable. And it's something that uh, we want to continue. But of course, now in this current situation, um, it's more looking at what funds we've got and what funds we may have to give to clubs to help them survive, not just now, but going out really October, November, December, January. So it's, it's more we are still looking more at emergency funding now, but I enjoy it. Um, I get to spend a lot of time talking to the Area Three RFU team, which covers Essex, Kent, Sussex, Surrey, and Middlesex, which is really enjoyable. Finding out what, how they look after their clubs, what their clubs are doing, what they're doing as counties. So, yeah, it's it's it gives it's given me a, a fantastic insight into how the county setup works um, and how Essex has really moved forward and obviously it really helped us getting alan price to be president as well that was a massive help for us so having two of us in the committee has you know has, has sort of let's say i would say it's mended it's it's mended broken fences by us doing this which is brilliant. We, we, we weren't always in essex's good books uh, well, I we, seem were to remember. No? we were because we were the only team in essex or any club in essex not to vote for the essex breakaway from eastern counties yeah so that took a long time for people to get over that and uh you know we believe that staying under eastern counties was the better better vibe for us all um you know it's probably you you could still probably debate that today but you know Mm -hmm. Essex has slowly but gradually got better and better and and it's doing an awful lot in reality for 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 grassroots rugby now so it's good well uh, we played at uh, or we took the under 15s over to play westcliff uh, probably early january time uh, and you can see echoes of their new uh, grounds that look very uh, similar to what we've got well not not identical by any stretch but but uh, there are similarities there and uh, i was really surprised I didn't know anything was happening there so so clearly that's that's making a difference um yeah um, so uh, your your current role um, at uh, Harlow, or indeed Latin Park, do you want to just explain a little bit about what you're doing uh, in Harlow? Yeah, I mean my role, you know, my role is general manager, so it's got a big title, but it, it doesn't really mean so much. That what I'm really there is to support the executive by controlling the day-to-day operation of the Latin Park facilities, and that includes everything from staff cleaning. Organising events, making sure we've got a beer, um, managing the day-to-day finances and financial planning, and also I also support Paul by looking after the pictures. So I'm really there to really to support the exec because, to be fair, all the exec have their own jobs to do. They can't be there can't be there during the day, and so that's really what my job is: is to give them that stability to enable them to to manage the club at the end of the day. Um, Do you mean Paul Tucker when you say Paul? Yeah, yeah, Paul Tucker, yeah. sorry. And of yeah. course, we, and to do that, we have, uh, obviously, we have Hayley, who works, who is the bar manager, who obviously comes and, and takes the day-to-day control of the bar. Um, but that's really what we are there to. We are there to support the executive, you know, and that, and that. And and it's very important that, and you know, in terms of managing the club, really, whether it's me, whether it's Hayley, whether it's any of the executive, we only have one aim, really, and that is to benefit the long-term sustainability of the club and the ongoing development of rugby at Harlow. It is not to build a pub, it is not to build a disco or a nightclub. It is basically to to be able to ensure that Harlow Rugby Club can continue to develop, you know, for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah. And that is, that's why all our We have these titles we have these names but you know you you don't see them anywhere else apart from on the in in all honesty in the finances so what's the difference between harlow rugby club and latin park right well basically legally nothing i mean latin park is is just the name of the facility in the same way that rams gorse was it's just basically a name on a map that identifies that area however what we do do is we use the latin park and the harlow rugby club Monikers to really market the services we operate. So obviously Laddam Park looks after the hospitality and events, and the bar. And Harlow Rugby Club looks after rugby. So it's really allowing us to be ultra focused on those two activities. So so that you know that that basically is the simple simple definition of the two of them. Um, however, uh, it is worth just explaining that the club does operate two legal entities. So we have Harlow Rugby Union Football Club Limited. Which is the community under sports club and obviously supports the rugby. And then we have HR UFC Trading Limited. Um, now, the trading element really is only there to allow it to generate additional revenue outside of what a community under sports club is actually allowed to do. So that is the reason it is there. And then what basically happens is, but just to make it clear though, that the trading company there's only one share it's owned by the executive everything we do has one there's only one article of association that is to generate and donate funds back to hi limited so you know whatever profits we make in hos trading, we can't take them away and do anything else for them they can only come back into the club to benefit rugby and it's as very simple as that really um, okay you know and in all honesty you don't see these you know apart from on the boards you know, the only place you would see HRF, Harlow Rugby Union Football Limited and HRFU Trading Limited is basically in the financial accounts. If we're talking to anybody who doesn't know what Harlow Rugby Club is, then we'll we'll talk about Latin Park. Yeah. But we always um we always sort of make sure that if we're ever putting Latin Park in a in a document or everything, we always put Latin Park the home of Harlow Rugby Club. So that's really what that what the two are. There's no there's no conflict between them. They're both very, they have to be absolutely supportive of each other and they have to work together. And um, and I think that is one thing that the exec has really had to learn is how the dynamics work between these two companies behind the scenes. And actually they've got very good at it. And the budget we did last year was far, far better than any of the budgets we've ever done before um, because that understanding was much clearer. They understood what it was about. They understood you know, if you spend this amount on rugby, you've got to make this amount somewhere else. So, you know, it, it, um, it sort of took away a lot of the pain, really. Oh, you thank mean. you. No, no, thanks for, for yeah. explaining that, because I know that that's something that, that creates a little bit of confusion. But ultimately, as you say, it, it's one club. Um, it's just two slightly different ways of operating. Yeah, exactly. So what's been happening for you during lockdown? Uh, well, basically, I still go to the club every day, um, really to make sure that the club stays secure, to obviously answer any emails and addresses come in, keep on top of the finances, I coordinate really the, we call it RTNA, but it's actually return to normal activity plan. So every Thursday, I produce that plan. And then that gets out to the executive. We have a call about it if we need to have a call about it. And so, so at any one time, we all know where we are with all of these things. And again, it's about that part of supporting the exec because, you know, they don't have time to do these things in their own job. So I do it all and I send it to them. And then then therefore they can very quickly see where we were last week, where we are this week, uh, and where we're going to be in the future. Sure. So you must have had some time at home, though. You can't have been at the club for so that whole period what have you, what have you been up yeah, to away I, from the club well i basically i have completely restructured my garden so i've had about three skips of soil have all gone and rubbish and trees and everything that have all gone i've really been completely redoing that as well so <laughs> that's right i do that the weekend and that's where i sort of try and keep keep my exercise out ready by doing that but yeah. is, your, is your cat happy she's very happy with the new garden <laughs> yeah. excellent excellent yeah. um so, uh, what were those initial steps that you needed to take? I mean, we covered some of those with uh, Chris McFerrin on the last uh, podcast, but uh, more specifically to, to your role, what were the things that you needed to do when we, when we did have to go into this lockdown period? I think the first thing we did, which was, which was paramount, is that we created the COVID 19 team so that we weren't, everybody, single person wasn't trying to deal with the same action. So, we created that first of all, which was excellent which is myself, Paul, Chris, and then we've now augmented that with Steve Foreman and with Haley. And really, what we so what we decided to do was really pick a date in the future so that we always had a reference point to reference all the actions we took, particularly in terms of how much money we were gonna have at that point. So we tagged basically the 31st of March, 2021, as being our reference point. And then all of our plans were all about making sure that that, that amount of money we had was gonna be retained by the time we get to March 21. So we took a lot of actions about reducing our costs wherever possible by either cancelling contracts or taking payment holidays. Um, we have a weekly conference call that looks at the effects of all our action on cash each, literally each week, not just in the short term, but as I said out to the 31st of March. Um, we apply for the hospitality grant. Uh, we've used the furlough scheme where we can. And we work with our own bank on all, on, on all various options available. Um, so, so at the moment that plan works, and that was sort of phase one of the plan, and that's really what we've been focused or we focused on heavily for the first probably eight weeks to get us to the point where we we had the lowest possible cash burn each month. Yeah, and I don't think we could have got it any lower than we did. Um, yeah, and so that that that's really worked well. I think then what we've now been focused on is really so once that's done we're now working much more on the return to normal activity. So risk assessments that we've done for for the main parts of the organization that need our risk assessments done. We have a return to normal activity detailed plan, which lists every single action that needs to be done to reopen the club. Um, All of that's not only the actions, but it's costed as well. So we know what the cost of reopening the club is. I mean, clearly you've had Quite a tight eye on the finances, and I think yeah. Tracy's Tracy Wedd, our chairman, uh, her June update sort of showed that we've applied for um, overdrafts, loans, and and a, uh, a grant yeah. Um, yeah. that has come through. Um, we didn't get the grant from Sport England, by the looks no. of things, but there's a few yeah. few of those things are are happening. I mean, what does what does that mean for our our long term? Well it it really I mean obviously the furlough is a one-off so there's no repayment for that so the furlough payment is obviously our staff's salaries but there are some elements of that which stops in August that the club then has to pay so again that's helped that's helped reserve cash the stuff with the bank is more about looking at the future really and looking about when we when we want to when we need to return to activity um, you know, anybody can go and look at what all of those those loans were offering and and what you've got for them. Basically, first of all, you've got a 12-month holiday where you don't have to repay it. Then you repay it back with a very very minor interest rate. And in all honesty, if you want to pay it all back at any time, you don't pay any interest on the on the outstanding amount. So again, it's really it's almost to give you that. Um, I wouldn't say it's a comfort factor because it's not because you know these things are still very 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 tight. Yeah. But certainly. Has enabled us, I think, to put put down a sensible plan that, if we stick to it, then come March next year, we'll be in a reasonably good position. Well, actually, we'll be in a really good position to then to really then lift off through April to September, and then bring in a lot of revenue next summer, which will then help rebuild the slight revenue that we've spent out in this period of no income so that's really what it's been able to do is give us a a point in time a reference point improve our 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 cash not that we want to spend it i will make that very clear we're not just because we've got it we aren't looking to necessarily spend it yeah no i i understand that because i saw that in the notes it said the expenditure is still higher than our income and that's no surprise at this point in time but um, but we have no income basically apart from uh, one one major set which we'll talk about in a minute but you know on top of that, we've now created the detailed roadmap. So again, this all fits into the RTNA plan. And we we have a review meeting this Thursday with all of the executive um, where we will review the whole of those plans. Sure. And at the end of that, then you know at some point in the not too distant future after that, then a, a, an update statement of where we are, where we think we're going to be, what we're going to do, what the roadmap looks like. Because the issue that we face at the moment is, is that we are being driven by two separate things, really. We're being driven by the return to rugby and we're being driven by the return to hospitality. Yeah. Now, at the moment, those two plans are not in sync, as you'd expect. Depending on the order we bring those things back has, has a huge impact on that cash and that cash flow that we have, because you know, if we bring rugby back with no hospitality, that's not good because of all the cost of, you know, when, if we bring rugby up, we've got we've got to turn all the facilities back on, get everything up and running. If we bring hospitality back, then of course that's great in runway because we start bringing in revenue. But if we let those costs get out of control, it needs to be controlled. Yeah, it needs to be controlled. Spe- so I think when the plan comes, which say we're signing off on Thursday. I think we'll probably do another podcast about the plan, explaining why the plan is what it is, how how it's all been put together and, and what are going to be the requirements of members going forward in effect. Because, you know, even from the announcements today, well, you know, we know that um, Boris can stand there and put his hurrahs on. But until we see the details behind it, which won't be till Friday, we won't know exactly what the impact of what he said today really is. Yeah. So so it, look, it looks like we need to continue to look for new sources of income or to boost what we've got. And I saw in Tracy's update, there was a donation form to to the club. Yes. Um, and I also saw that we're trying to, to drive the uh, 300 club to become a thousand club to, to generate a significant amount of more money. 300 club being a, essentially a monthly raffle, isn't it? I think the Thousand Club is more my idea, but I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, only because, only because at the end of the day, anything that generates 100% profit from it, so if someone pays £5 a month, the club basically gets £5 to spend. I know we've got to pay um, the, price the prices. Of yeah. Now, you know, if you then compare that to making £5 a profit over the bar, you've probably got to sell somewhere in the region of £50 worth of beer by the time you've paid all the other costs that go with it. So... Mm-hmm. That's why the that's why the hundred club or the three hundred club is so is such a crucial part of what we do, and and that's why I think it, it, it that's why I personally believe it should be a target to get it to, you know, even if we got it to a five hundred club, that's thirty k. Oh yes, yeah, which you know is equivalent to probably somewhere in the region of two hundred thousand pounds worth of bar revenue. Yeah, so that's I, 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 I see, I now. see i do see how that makes uh yeah. makes sense i guess maybe people have seen the message from tracy and they've seen a donation form in there yeah. what do you what do you think that the donations would be used for that that, that came in from our membership well we've already had donations already from mm-hmm. from i think we've had four now in which is very good and um at the moment that's about uh, 1200 pounds which we've had in already um at the moment they will go into the into the into the general pot at the moment till we know what we do because we're also in the process of doing the budget now what comes out of that budget we do the normal budget and then there is a list of things outside of that budget of sort of projects that we want to do like the lighting for the pathway like putting the french drain down the far side of the first team pitch so it stops stops it flooding like doing the car park lights which we desperately need to do um, probably doing a little bit more work opposite the gym downstairs using the other half of the facility. So there's always those type of projects that we want to do. Now, you know, we haven't had the budgets meetings yet, so the 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 exec are working on that at the moment. But certainly at some point it would be, I think, very good if we can tie those things to it. But that's a yeah. that's a conversation we have to have as part of the budget meeting. And, you know, I think that's when we, we'll have those conversations a little bit more. Yeah, but at the I think, moment, uh, I think yeah. we were going to, I was going to ask you later on about our wish list of what we, if we you know, if money was no object. And uh, that's a different, that? that's a completely yeah. different level of um, Yeah, you know, if money was no option. Of, of, option then the things we'd be wanting to do, we'd then be looking in the, the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds of things. But, you know, yeah. um, we're not there yet. <laughs> no, but no. I think, but to be honest, you, I think, I think in terms of, say, a barn type structure for indoor uh, an indoor training area well in all honesty that isn't that expensive mm-hmm. because all you need is a concrete slab really a bit of decent flooring on the top of it and a barn type structure so it wouldn't be that expensive to do i would have um, loved that when i was playing yeah the number well, I, of times I, we claw, clawed our way out onto the training pitches yeah. at ram gorson yeah. uh, now, and through the mud and stuff it, it have a, a, a yeah. roof over our heads and be able to train that a little bit longer uh, yeah. be a bit more exact with our line out throws um, yeah. but yeah yes. it's been good mm-hmm. but you know at the moment that's not in our plan and, no. and nor could it be it could not be in our standard plan but you know dare i say if somebody wanted to take that- as the project, I think we'd all be incredibly happy to, yeah. for someone to go and try and raise that amount of funding. And, and so that, that's really, I think that's really where we are at the moment with, with those type of things. And and, and and it's really, it's almost self-help in some ways, because like the 100 club or 300 club, sorry, mm-hmm. like the donations, it's all going back to the rugby. It's not, you know, we're not taking that to use it for anything else. It's all going back to rugby at the end of the day. So, are there any other sort of opportunities for us to to increase those revenue streams that that you've been thinking of or been working on? I think if we're going to if we're going to significantly increase profitability, not necessarily revenue, because you know revenue we know we can get revenue, we know we can survive in the revenue streams that we've had you know, certainly last year. But if we want to actually bring back real big chunks of of profit to the club, then you've got to start thinking bigger than what we are. So. A couple of things that we we're already in conversations about really is is bringing much better quality music events to the club with a, with to be fair working with a partner to bring them to the club where you know you're talking spending two three thousand pound on an act not two three hundred pound on an act because that will get you big attraction in the local economy and with obviously the community you know we want there's one of the conversations we started last year but unfortunately we've got a bit Got a bit kibosh with the uh, sound thing. Was to talk to the council on putting on really a, a really exceptionally large summer event. You know, well, really? Uh, they were doing a pro- there were problem- big event. There were problems last year with that? No, we had problems with the sound, didn't we, at one of the events, uh, which we had a slight problem with. Oh, but we, we were being too noisy. We were being too noisy, yeah. yeah. And, and I think also we do have at the moment, we've been with our sponsors, we've got this brilliant set of sponsors. And we've been very mindful that we would not flood our sponsorship with too many companies of the same ilk. So we wouldn't have five estate agents, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And sponsorship is a big element now that the revenue we get from it is, is a big number. However, we do have we can accommodate another five to six corporate sponsors without really putting anybody else's noses out of joint, really. So we will be looking to do that. Uh, and if you look at some of the companies that are moving into the town in the in the in the not too distant future, I think that's going to op- open up opportunities for us as well to um, to go and find those additional corporate sponsors, which is really what we what we want to do. Because, again, if, if someone's got a good contact, there, who yeah. should they get in touch with and who should they sort Me. of? They should get in touch with you. Yeah, okay. me. Yeah, and I will. I will deal with them. I mean, so yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we're after. I mean, we've got we've got some nice sponsors last year. We've got some original sponsors that've been with us since we moved here. Um, in fact, I think all our sponsors last year renewed for two years. So again, we've got them for another another. You know, we've got them for another year at least before we have to renew them again. Um, so you know, I, I think we we've, we've done really well with our sponsors. They like coming to the club. I think we look after them very well. So, um, if you had two pairs of hands or someone to, to help you out, what, what sorts of things um, w- would really help you out at the moment? Well, I think at the moment, in all honesty, we, we've always got space for gardening and painting, et etc. et cetera. But I think where we are at the moment, what we really need is, we need our members to continue to support what they have done, and that is continue to pay their membership. It has been an absolute lifeline for us, That money every month that comes in, it has really, really helped us get through this period. And, you know, I take my hat off to all of the members for doing it, and and I thank them from the bottom of my heart for doing it. So we need them to continue to do that. And more importantly, it's not so much support now. We will need support when we reopen. We will need members to come back and support the club, support the events, support the facilities, obviously support rugby. And that's really it was. And, and and in all honesty, at the moment, the best thing we can all our members can do is really stay safe and sound and and make sure that they can come back to us and return as soon as possible. Um, and I think that's really where it is. We have we have a few people pop in there again. They do a little bit of work. But I think at the moment, it's please continue paying your membership. Please come when we open the doors. Please come and support us. And then we'll look at what we need to do afterwards and, and then we'll see where we are. It's a shame, unfortunately, we've missed the summer um, because some of the things that we wanted to do was more around like we used to. We wanted to have an old fashioned Ram Gorse barbecue where everybody gets involved and, and helps. And, and we still want to do those things. We still yeah. want to. And, and I think that's the one big thing I've seen in the club over the last 12 months. I've seen a much more coming back together of the whole club I think we got a bit fractured when we moved for obvious reasons but I do feel now that we've got everybody coming back together you know you've only got to see the first team the way they're pulling together the way they're training and it really fills me with with great hope actually for for the future uh, and the way that that we'll we'll go about the next the next few years of our of our journey so uh, I mean I think the next thing to sort of think about, we, we kind of touched on it a bit before about having that indoor or bond type of um, training yeah. facility. But if if money was like no object, um, I know we looked at an AGP pit or the all weather pitch um, previously, and, and sort of moving, is that something that would be on your your list? The, the AGP, yeah, uh, there is no doubt that an AGP would be on every single rugby club's list. The problem is, is the cost of putting it in to start with. The problem is, is it's a never-ending um, bucket of money that you've got to provide. It's round about thirty thousand pound a year. You've got to put aside to maintain it because, depending on how many games you play on it, the surface has to be replaced every five or six years. It, it can actually go out to to eight nine years, but generally they're finding got to go replaced every five or six years. Um, and it, it is, you know, and of course there are various qualities of these pitches at the moment. Um, I think there's a lot of medical doubt about, at the moment, about the quality of AGPs. Yeah, I of, mean, uh, I guess that, that some of the kids problem. that I coach or rather players that I coach, yeah. when we go down to Eaton Manor, although last year we went down there, we, we lost quite badly. And this year we, we managed to win yeah. down there on that pitch. But um, the, the the players aren't terribly keen on or those young players aren't terribly keen on, on playing on those surfaces because they sometimes get burns. They don't always get burns. I, I used to, I would have loved it, to be honest, a nice springy surface like that to, to play on. But is there anything you think that is, you're hearing about how we should think about playing on those pitches in a in a different way? Anything we should prepare uh, as a player, I guess, to, to go onto those pitches? Well, I, I think I, th- I think the problem is is going forward, I mean, I certainly know two clubs in Essex which are, Looking at AGPs, although they won't—they're not in our league, so it won't affect that. But I think eventually, you know, I—I I don't know how many years out this will be. Um, I'm pretty certain that all—well, all, they'll actually won't be AGPs as they are now. There'll be more these grass fibre pitches where you mix natural grass with—with with a degree of fibre element, soft fibre element. So you—you you just don't get the wear then, and they sit on top of this mat. But yes, I think I think you're going to have to. I mean, if you look at um, there's a very good paper written by. One of the Saracens coaches that when Saracens went to uh, the um, Etihad and started playing their games there, uh, the Lions sorry to play their games, mm-hmm. they trained for weeks and weeks just learning how to run, yeah. because of exactly as you said, because of that springiness, and they got they had a lot of lower limb strains and stresses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and if you look at when somebody's tackled, there's no forward momentum. You are tackled and you are on the floor. You know, and that's where it's, it gets harder, and, and you're not—you haven't got that natural, that natural softness that necessarily a a well grass pitch. And and New Zealand have, have at the moment put AGPs on hold until there's more medical proof um, about it. Um, Twickenham moved away from the AGP ideas and have stuck with this with this grass hybrid system. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you, I really think, in all honesty, the um, the thing for AGPs is probably still slightly up in the air. If you've got the money, fine yeah. do it. If you haven't got the money, I'd really get better grass, get better yeah. fertilizer, and make your grass pitches better. That's mm. Mark, that's what that's what we really preach at county level. Okay. Uh, we're, not, we're not advising anyone to just run off and go and pay the monies that they're talking about. And of course the trouble is a lot of clubs have got fixated with AGPs and they're looking at AGPs from China and from places like that that actually don't even meet the world the rugby criteria. Yeah. yeah. But they're putting them down, and then they're finding the RFU turn up and say, wait that's you can't play on that." Yeah. You know, you, you've got to have a big budget before you can actually do it. I mean, obviously, is different because that's an RFU piece. It's owned by the yeah. RFU yeah. exactly. Yeah. The yeah. Managers get use of it. They don't pay anything towards the maintenance or the upkeep of it. They just so they've got they have but that's that that's got that's got its problems we know about that yeah Yeah. they sort of booking it and making it available and and all that sort of thing yeah yeah well it it kind of brings me towards the the last section of the the conversation today but uh, i've got three questions firstly um one that came in from andy stillman which he stole from che clark from the 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 last time out which was your best guess when 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 do you think the bar will be open i think you need to wait till after thursday let us finish our reviews and then we'll come out with a plan. Whatever well, date I said at the moment, it would not be correct. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I understand. Because, you know, we have to look at the advice. We've got to look at the advice in detail. And it's not just about that. It's very easy for anyone to say you can open the pubs on the 4th of July. But, of course, have Green King got all that amount of beer? Has everyone got all those amount? You know, so this is also a massive logistical element. Has someone been drinking all our beer then? That, no, well, we haven't got any should, beer. They've been taken got away. We, oh, we've got right. returned.
1: Oh, it all got okay.
0: returned. It was all out of date, so they took it back. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, but, but you know, it, it takes, it'll take three to four weeks to really, or three weeks really, to get from the from the same we're going to open on a date to actually get the club completely ready and getting all the supplies in because everything has been shut down now, mm. you know, even, and it's, it's the silly little things that people don't realize, like because the water's all been switched off, we've got to do Legionella testing. Mm-hmm. so we can't that takes three weeks from the day we start legionella testing there's no point doing it and then having all the water t- switched off for another three weeks otherwise we will have legionella yeah so again these true. these things are all built into this plan which we're reviewing on thursday and then um i the think exam- this is going to be a recurring question whoever whoever i ask on these things uh, we we all you know we 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 is a refer- recurring question and all I would say is let us get the meeting done on Thursday, let the exec consider what's everything on the table and then they will make the appropriate de- decision based on on the need of rugby, the need of the club, the need of finances and what actually can be li- delivered by our suppliers and by when. That's all I'd say. Sure. So two more, two more questions and then, then uh, we'll call it a day. But uh, what makes you proud uh, about our club? Oh, I, I think definitely there, there is no doubt we have one of the finest community club facilities in the UK. That really is. There is no doubt about that. I mean, the calls I get literally every week from other clubs who have been on our sites and they've looked at it and they want advice on what we do. And I mean, I'm helping three clubs at the moment. In fact, with their new facility, not not helping them do it, but I'm giving them advice and giving them copies of plans, et cetera, et cetera, and, and things like that. And, and really just how it went first. Now we didn't. So that's that is. Um I think, I think my pride in, my, in the club, to be fair, is also brought about by the phases that we've been through. You know, When I first joined the club in the mid-80s, you know, our Colts team were in the very top echelon of Colts rugby in the UK. And for a club for Harlow's size at that time, it was amazing. Going down to Bristol, going to Leicester, going to Wasps and seeing our, seeing our Colts team win was, really did make the whole club incredibly proud. Um, I think the teams of the eighties and nineties have regularly appearing in Essex and Eastern County's cup finals and appearing at Twickenham, you know, and going on tour to Canada and going on tour to, to South Africa. Again, I think that really, that made me incredibly proud of what we were doing and we were becoming as a club. I think Ladden Park and the growth of our juniors and minis is really exciting. Um, because we know at the end of the day, we need 30 you know—we need 30 juniors in every age group, really, to eventually make sure we get enough um, kids coming through to the, to the Colts and then coming into the first team. And OK, they may go to university, but as long as they come back to us. So again, what we're seeing with the juniors and minis is, is really outstanding. I think we all knew it was the Rams course was very a constricting factor in 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 juniors and minis and, and I don't just talk about the, the male side of it, also the female side. And and we've seen what the female girls have done. And again, that is amazing really from where we were and all those years we were trying and not getting in having to send send our girls all around the county to play. Now to see them play at Harlow is absolutely fantastic. I think in all honesty at the moment I think I think I sum it up really and I, I really think the appointment of Michael Weston is as head coach um, and the attitude, the performance, the team togetherness that I'm now seeing from the senior squad really makes me feel that we've gone that full circle and the club has come back together, really. And and I really believe that the club is back in a very good place in terms of playing and it is really ready now to continue moving forward. And, you know, I really feel that that's vitally important. Um, but I really do feel incredibly well, proud I, sh- I shall certainly grill Westy on that next uh, uh, Friday. He's, he's going to do one of these podcasts for for us and let us know what's yeah. going on there. So uh, yeah. we'll cover some of that with him um, yeah. next time out. Well, not next I time, think, one after that. I think finally, I, I mean, and I, I'd also like to say, I think that the the executive, to be fair, they did not sign up for what's happening now, you know, and they really, des- really deserve the respect of everyone at the club for what they're doing. Um, really to ensure that we not only survive this pandemic, but we're ready to start the season up and running. And, you know, they've had to learn a hell of a lot. They're having to assimilate a hell of a lot every single day. You know, they're going way, way, way past any remit that they could have ever dreamt was going to be put on their shoulders. Um, no one signs yeah. up to manage a pandemic, do they? And uh, certainly have my respects uh, through and through. So, yeah. yeah. And all those things add up, I think, to, you know, to be honest, every time I drive through the gate, I'm incredibly proud of what we've done and what, where we are. And it does, it does fill me with pride and, and that's what really keeps me sort of driving forward to make us better and better and better. Um, and I think I would also say, I don't think it's just us that are proud about the club. If you talk to people on the Essex committee and people that come here, they're also very proud of what we've done with the facilities. And, and, and I think that's also a, good, a really good pointer to where the club has moved in, say, the Essex scheme of rugby things, really. We are now considered very highly and we're often put up now as being the model of what of what a modern successful rugby club really should be and i Mm -hmm. think again that that everybody in the club should and all certainly all of the the club members the officers the volunteers and the supporters and everything else that uses the club should be incredibly proud of that as well i i I believe they are they certainly hear it uh, time and time again um so the last question then is just today what are you looking forward to um uh, well firstly I want to see, seeing everybody return safe and sound that is absolutely paramount um I really want to see the first 15 uh, rectifying uh, what in my view is an extremely poor decision read really the league table um, and I want to see it win this league next season and I want to see it win this, I want to see us winning style and I want to see us stuff everybody because I do <laughs> really believe the wrong decision was made and I um, and and so do in fact the team that went up actually also believe the wrong decision was made. So it makes me even more um, realising that I don't agree with that decision at all. But, well, congratulations yeah. to Chelmsford, but yes, we, exactly. uh, we have we can't to blame them exactly. You no, know, it wasn't their their fault. Yeah. That it came that way, but uh, no, exactly uh, to to yeah. us commiserations to us. But as you say, let's yeah. let's, let's, let's go yeah. let's go hammer and tongs at this next year next year. Yeah, um, and finally, also, my final thing that I'm looking forward to really is getting back to having. Lunch with Sid and Lenny, uh, sharing a bottle of red wine over a very nice lunch cooked by Peter and Trevor, and then wincing at Mr. Price's jokes. (laughs) I think, think, yeah.
1: You've you've
0: missed them. You know this is being recorded, don't you? It's going to get played back to you time and time again. I have missed his jokes. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Well, Alan. Thank you very much for for your time today. Really appreciate uh, uh, you taking some time out and and telling us what's going on uh, and giving us some background of some of the decisions that have been made and certainly where we are financially and and, uh, how we're going to come out the other side of this. So uh, appreciate all your work here and uh, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Paul. Thank you for listening to the House of Rams podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please get in touch through Facebook or email me direct with your thoughts. If you'd like to appear on one of our podcasts or showcase what you're doing at the club, please email me on paulowenaynen at gmail.com or contact me through Facebook. Watch out for our next release and thanks for listening.